This is episode 277 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are The Survivor Man Zones of Assessment, The Key to Your Survival When the Situation Seems Hopeless, and The Wonderful Wonder Oven Box. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey guys, before we get started, you can make sure that you get the Prepper Website Podcast delivered to your preferred device without fail. We make it very easy for you to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or any other favorite podcast network. And if you do feel you are receiving value from this podcast, We do appreciate your kind reviews. Hey guys, welcome to episode 277. Very excited that you are here joining me. Hey, I want to talk a couple about a couple of things here that just popped up uh, today. The first one is, I saw this on the Drudge Report, uh, about Citigroup imposing restrictions on uh, gun sales. And so basically what they were doing, uh, or what what they are doing, is... They are telling people who own firearms or who sell firearms that they they have to sell to people that are 21 years or older. I mean, the law is 18 years, but they're they're saying we want them to be 21 years and if you 21 years old and if you are not going to subscribe to that policy, then you're not going to be able to do business here. We're not going to be able to, uh, you know, we're not going to take your money and you're not going to be able to exchange goods or loans or, or any of that kind of stuff. I'm not worried that all of a sudden they're going to start banning guns, but what these idiots are going to do is what happened a couple of years ago. They're going to start people talking about uh, gun confiscation, and they're going to start talking. People talking about this kind of stuff, and so people, so ammo and guns and all that kind of stuff is going to fly off the shelves. And so last time, uh, gun manufacturers, their stocks went up like crazy. I know people who aren't even preppers who said, "Oh no, we bought we bought some of the I think I guess Ruger stock, and uh, it went through the roof." And uh, so you no, know, they were really enjoying all that kind of stuff, but. You know, it's just they start talking about this. I mean, the law is 18. Why are they going to put pressure on businesses to, to do, you know, 20, you know, to be 21 years of age? And so Citigroup, you probably shouldn't be doing business with them anyway. Uh, they probably cost too much to have their services. Right. So but, you know, definitely if you are in the firearms industry, definitely move away from them. And if you have, you know, somebody, I saw this on Twitter, people were talking about if you own, um, you know, any stock in Citigroup or you uh, do business with them, maybe you want to go ahead and start pulling away from them. Or maybe you want to even start doing, not doing business with people that do business with Citigroup. I don't know, just to kind of send a message. Um, it just looks like the divide that's here in our country just keeps getting wider and wider and wider. Again, why? I mean, the law is 18. Why are they going to do that? And so they're a business. They can do whatever they want. But, you know, you don't have to do your business with them as well either. So if you have Citigroup, if you use Citigroup, FYI on that one. And then uh, right before I started the podcast, I started recording, I went over to Drudge Report to see if there was anything new. And normally there's not anything new. But uh, there was some in there in big red uh, letters. 
China fights back, targets 128 American products. So again, you have this you know craziness. Now you have China and U.S. going back and forth and talking mess. And here's the thing, or at least the way that I look at it. Will this cause, you know, the, the stock market lost 700 points today. And I know uh, over on the Facebook group, I put like, hey, do you think, I asked the question, do you think that, um, you know, it's better to have something like this uh, close to the weekend or at the beginning of the week? And I guess I didn't um, explain myself well enough. But here's the thing. I'm coming from the idea of, what are people's perceptions? How are people going to respond to this? So because Trump, uh, you know, put some kind of tariffs on China and so and now China has uh, and so the stock market goes down 700 points. And so now China has done that to America. And so we don't know what the stock market. I think the stock futures were down a little bit. And so definitely you don't live your life according to the stock market. But that doesn't mean that other people don't. I mean, other people will start looking at this and possibly panicking. And so that panic can can start to grow legs and run. And of course, those of us who it doesn't really matter, fine. But people start spinning things up out of control. And eventually that does can affect us, right? And so when we talk about being prepped and aware and staying, uh, you know, keeping your eyes up above the water and making sure you keep tabs on everything. And this is possibly one of those things. I'm not trying to be all doom and, and, and gloom here. I'm not trying to sell any doom porn or anything like that. But other people start acting stupid. Other people start acting crazy and doing stupid things. And so, you know, in the stock market, are we going to see that? The media can spin things quickly way out of control and people can start losing their minds. And, you know, eventually that can affect us. Right. And so anyway, um, a lot of craziness. There's, there's just it just seems like every day there's something right. Maybe maybe there's people up there that just want to keep things so spun up and don't want people to just live their lives and and enjoy life and, and, and go on from there. I don't know. You know, you got to kind of go from uh, where you are on that. I kind of uh, believe that it's part of the sign of the times. But, yeah, that's my that's where I'm coming from. All right, guys, our first article comes to us from the survivalistblog.net. And uh, this article is entitled The Survivor Man Zones of Assessment, The Key to Your Survival When the Situation Seems Hopeless. Now, this article is actually written by the survivor man, Les Stroud, and maybe you saw his, uh, you were a fan of his television show, uh, and so really great to read a piece written by him. So um, very excited about this one, and so let's go ahead and jump right into this one. You can imagine almost any survival situation, dumping a canoe in a set of rapids, falling off the edge of a cliff, or simply, you're lost, what's next? What exactly do you do now? In reality, your next move could be the most important thing you ever do. It will be perhaps the most important decision you ever make. That next step may ensure your survival or doom you to a tragic end. At the very least, this decision may make things much more difficult than they need to be. First and foremost, when faced with a survival or traumatic situation of any kind, one must calm down. Take a knee. Calming down enables the person to start to use their brain power in a useful way for enabling salvation from the circumstances, whatever they may be. However, just calming down is never enough, for it only stops the action of the moment. 
What comes next is the most important aspect of survival, making a decision and taking action. However, doing so without considering the options is foolhardy at best and likely to lead to disaster, more problems, or an exacerbation of the problems at hand. So decisions must be made on how to move forward. So far, all of this is not rocket science, yet how does one make decisions without knowledge? This is where the magic of survival skills of all kinds kicks in, with knowledge. Without ascertaining all kinds of details or knowledge about your predicament, you are liable to make decisions that are ill-thought-out and potentially dangerous. But how do you get the information you need? Enter the Survivor Man Zones of Assessment. Zone 1. Your Body and Clothes You start with yourself. Are you hurt? Are you tired or hungry? What are you wearing? What do you have in your pockets? So, quote. And so this is... um, after every zone, there's a, a quote here. It's kind of like uh, the person kind of thinking, right? So these are their thoughts. Quote, I am wearing a backpack with extra clothes, one sandwich, and a half a bottle of water inside of it. I have a power bar in my pocket and a small knife, and I'm wearing good boots. I do not have a flashlight or any signaling devices. I have lots of energy and no one is injured, but my friend Brian is not physically fit and he lost all his gear. End quote. If you're not alone, repeat this process so that everyone checks out their own zone one and determines what the group has collectively. Even to the point of saying everyone empty out their pockets, let's take stock. So zone two, your immediate vicinity. This is simply the area immediate to you, the surrounding area of a few thousand square feet. So do you have a tent, a canoe? Do you have any food or water or other items in packs? What else is lying around you? Firewood, a swamp full of edible cattail, an all-terrain vehicle with a half a tank of gas? What can you glean from your immediate surroundings? Can you rip or break something apart to aid you? For example, can you make protective insulated boots out of your car or boat seats? So again, here is uh, the thought process here. Quote, there are three of us. We have one tent and two sleeping bags, no group food, a small first aid kit, and one lighter. End quote. Zone three is your extended area. This is further beyond, maybe a mile or a couple of miles away. How far are you from safety? Do you know of anything not too far away that can help you like a cabin? Which direction is safety and how difficult will it be to get there? How difficult would it be to get to safety and is everyone up for the task? If not, what are the challenges to getting to safety and can you overcome them easily? Does anyone know you are in trouble? And if so, how long before they affect a rescue? How soon can you move if you can move? Do you know these answers for sure? Not knowing something is as important to consider as is knowing something. So the thought process, quote, I remember that there is a highway only one mile to the east if we walk straight, but I don't know what the terrain is like and no one at home is expecting to hear from us for at least four more days. I also remember we passed a cabin only a half mile back, and I know for sure we can get to it for the night. It is only about 12 p.m., end quote. Okay, so now you know, quote, here's the whole thought process put together. I am wearing a backpack with extra clothes, one sandwich, and a half a bottle of water inside of it. I have a power bar in my pocket, a small knife, and I'm wearing good boots. I do not have a flashlight or any signaling devices, and I have lots of energy. There are three of us. No one is injured, but Brian is not physically fit and lost all his gear.
We have one tent and two sleeping bags. No group food, a small first aid kit, and one lighter. I remember that there is a highway only one mile to the east if we walk straight, but I don't know what the terrain is like, and no one at home is expecting to hear from us for at least four more days. I also remember we passed a cabin only half a mile back, and I know for sure we can get to it for the night. It's only about 12 p.m., end quote. It likely only took 60 to 90 seconds to get all this knowledge. Yet, now you have many details and are able to make a series of quality and concise decisions about how to affect proactive survival, the only kind of survival there is. March is the beginning of the end of winter. February is our blah month. The term bitterly cold is tossed around a lot, and most folks just want to get it over with. Then comes March, which is tantalizingly warm days that hint at an early start to spring, but exit with nights that the cold simply refuses to ease its grip on. So February, the dead of winter, must be the most dangerous time of the year, right? Wrong. Without a doubt, the most dangerous time of the year comes after we've put away our big down coats, but just before the grass takes on its green hue. During the peak of winter, we're expecting the bone-chilling cold, we wear our Michelin Man coats, making us look like miniature Schwarzenhagers. Here, the forecast for minus one million and step outside, already braced for the frigid, clear Canadian air. But we're an excitable bunch when the sun begins warming our cheeks again mid-March. Coats are thrown back in the basement closet, and people start trying to get ready for swimsuit season and the summer months to come. But beware, early spring is the time of year that'll get you. There are more cases of hypothermia during the spring and fall months than during winter. We're not ready for the drop in temperature late in the day when we've had a balmy March afternoon. We're not ready for the damp air that seems to cut through our clothing after two months of dry air that our fleece and down staved off. If being out in the wilderness is your thing, then beware of a lackadaisical approach of spring. Hypothermia is a killer. Plain and simple, though strangely, after you get past the initial shivering, it's considered to be one of the most pleasant ways to die. Your body temperature begins to drop from 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, and as it drops, you become clumsy, forgetful, and tend to walk around in a stupor, kind of like a lot of my friends now that I think of it. Severely hypothermic people have been known to strip down from their protective clothing, stating that they are quite warm and comfortable, even though they are slowly chilling to death. Overexertion that leads to sweating during the warmth of a March day is deadly. By 6 p.m., your inner clothes are soaked with sweat, and now the sun is going down. Within minutes, the chills up your spine begin. From there, it's a dangerous downward spiral, yet it's all easily avoided with some simple preparation. First, don't become overconfident with the beautiful warming sunshine of the day. March nights can dip well below zero quickly. Know that the cold is coming and keep a day pack with a down coat packed in it. Dress in layers and though it's a bit of a pain, constantly strip down or layer up if you are cold or hot. Read that last sentence again. It is one that can save your life. While trekking or heading out into the Ides of March, remember my favorite saying, if you sweat, you die. That is the long and slow story of hypothermia, but there also exists the Coles Notes version. Immersion, also known as plunging through the weak ice into frigid lake water, or for some people, a naked New Year's Day tradition, the polar bear swim. It is possibly one of the scariest scenarios to occur in the waning winter months, 
After a few days of thawing, water will begin to wind its way through the path of least resistance down to the lakes, creating sinkholes and weak ice everywhere. Now ice that 30 days prior was strong enough to drive a truck on has weaknesses and fault lines large enough for your poorly dressed body to break through. The key to surviving a fall through the ice is, you guessed it, preparation. Simply put, don't ever venture out onto frozen lakes without a pair of ice grippers around your neck, easily accessible. You don't get a second chance at this. I kick myself every time I see a pair of ice grippers in the outdoor stores. You see, many years ago, my survival cronies and I made our own ice grippers, and I always thought they should be mass-marketed. Ah, well, someone's making a fortune now, and I am confident lives are being saved because of this simple little device. It's hard to generalize the look of ice and say it means one thing or another, so as a general rule, I would say watch out for the dark spot areas on the surface of the lake where the slush and water has gathered and weakened the ice. Anywhere a river or creek flows into a lake will be weak for some distance, in a semicircle around the mouth of the tributary. If you must travel on a frozen body of water and you already know the ice is weak, then it can help to have a long pole, perhaps even an ice chisel. You can test the ice in front of you as you gingerly walk and also use the pole held horizontally to save you from falling all the way through a hole. Once you're in the drink, the only way out is pretty much the same as getting out of a swimming pool only without having the sidewall of the pool to push your feet against or the grip of the pool edge to push down on with your hands. The best method is a good scissor kick up from the water and then rolling yourself out onto the ice surface. Any friend nearby that wants to rescue you must do so by finding something they can throw to you or reach out to you to give you something to grab a hold of. They also need to lie flat if they are trying to get close to you so that their weight is spread out on the weak ice around your hole. Falling through the ice is not a team sport. Once you're out, it's time for a big fire. Scratch that. I mean a massive fire. Huge. We're talking the kind of fire you could view from space. That's the only thing that will knock the chill out of your now naked body. Sorry, but you have to strip down and get all the wet clothes off if you want to dry out. Kind of gives a whole new meaning to the concept of shrinkage for the men. And it is absolutely vital that you do this out of the wind. Keep moving. Do jumping jacks. Get your blood flowing back through all your extremities. Did I mention to get out of the wind? The wind is a killer. You must be protected from it. You don't want to add frostbite to your problems. Now, you want to be rescued, so I'd like to share a lesson in signaling. I learned from first-hand experience. Ignore what you might have heard about making multiple smoke signals. Make one big signal tower fire. Concentrate your efforts on pooling all the resources for the big rescue moment. Trying to run between multiple fires while the wind cuts through you is ridiculous and even dangerous. Make use of as much birch bark as possible so your fire flames up very fast. Above it, put green spruce boughs, which will give you lots of smoke. And whatever you do, don't go running out into the ice to wave down your only chance of rescue and fall back into the same hole. All right, guys, a lot of good information here. Some of it just kind of seems a little random. But uh, basically what it is, what I gather from this, is you have to use that thing between your ears, right? You've got to use your brain and you've got to put the knowledge inside of that brain. 
And so we talk a lot, uh, you know, about gear and you hear that a lot. We talk a lot about it's more important to have skills, but it's also important to have knowledge. So knowledge and skills are way more important than gear, although gear a lot of the times is a game changer. But you have to get that knowledge first. So think about, uh, you know, someone in school who's needing to read. Uh, let's say like, you know, I go to fifth grade and uh, again, when I was on the campus and we had students reading big books. Right. And so they're, they're reading big books. But if I took that book and I went to kindergarten and tried to give it to a student, no way they wouldn't be reading it. Right. They're reading small little uh, you know books that they're that the teacher's putting together. They're able to read, but there's no way that they would be able to read a big, humongous book. But so there's at some place they're putting that knowledge in. And at one point they're going to get there. They're going to get there and they're going to be at the at the place where they, they could read that big book. And a lot of the times that's where we're at, especially if you're new to preparedness. Even if you've been in preparedness for a while, there's knowledge that you need to gain. And that's why you listen. You know that you're listening to the podcast. You read articles and you read books and, and you watch videos and all those kinds of things that you can do so that you can be better prepared. So you're putting that knowledge. So you're getting that knowledge. You're having a basis of where to work from. Then you're able to go start putting those skills into practice and then perfecting those skills. Right. Um, and that's something that we call schema uh, in education where you're, you're building on your knowledge. You're always, always adding to it. And so definitely a good thing here, you know, good information here. I know, uh, you know, it is March and very, very true. Some of y'all on the East Coast are being blasted with snow. Um, I was on a conference call today and uh, they had a snow day. I mean, they were snowed in. So, but this person worked from home and they had internet access. So we were able to uh, do our internet call or our web conference. But, you know, they were, they were snowed in and here we are in, you know, on the, you know, the last part of March, uh, you know, feeling all of this, this cold air. If you're on the East coast, I love the, um, advice of being of dressing in layers that should be something that we do all the time not only in uh not only in winter time but even in the summer months sometimes having that t-shirt on will keep you cooler uh if you have that layer on uh and so you know sometimes it's it's a great idea to have that t-shirt underneath and in all those all those kinds of things so definitely a lot of great information here and uh so uh go check this article out and like always, there's a lot of comments over here over at the survivalistblog.net. Our next article comes to us from preparednessadvice.com. And the article is entitled The Wonderful Wonder Oven Box. And, you know, yesterday on episode 276, I talked about um, the Wonder Box uh, a little bit, about making your own. And so on Friday, on the Friday podcast, I always go to the Prepper website archives and pull up an article from the archives and read that on the podcast. And so since I talked about, you know, looking up the Wonder Box and, and I immediately went there after the episode last night and uh, after I recorded it and pulled it up and I'm like, all right, great. And so preparednessadvice.com actually did a couple of articles on it. They're very, very short. But this one just briefly talks a little bit about it. And then it links to two other articles. And the other article, I'm going to actually read it because, again, these are very, very short. I'm going to read them very quickly. Um, is actually the information on how to build one. And so uh, the thing is, is that having a Wonder Box, if you can go ahead and have one now and you can start using it, definitely you can save some, uh, you know, in the summer months, when you are cooking and you are cooking in your 
uh, kitchen and it's you're, you're heating up the kitchen, it costs a lot of money to cool off, right? You got to uh, maybe turn down the AC a little bit to cool off and to, to dissipate all that heat that you put into your kitchen. This is a way to cook without that all, all that heat. And or to continue the heat, and it's also a way to save money. So you know you might not care if you have natural gas and you have a gas oven or you have an electrical oven, but if you are in a, a poop hits the fan situation and you have a certain amount of fuel, even if you are using wood, you don't want to use more than you have to. It's a resource. If you have uh, you know propane tanks, you don't want to use more than you have to. And so using a wonder box cuts down a lot of that, you know, so it's definitely one of those things that you can do and you can use to cook and save yourself, uh, you know, time uh, having to actually watch it and then also save yourself the fuel. And then you'll find out here that there's very little smell that comes from it. So if you're trying to hide the smell from other people, then this is a way to do it while it's cooking, right? So let's go ahead and jump right into this. I'm actually going to read both of the articles again. Like I said, they're, they're very short. So uh, again, uh, from preparednessadvice.com, the wonderful Wonder Oven Box. My wife has been using a Wonder Oven or box for quite a few years with great success. She uses them for cooking and transporting foods. When we go on a camping trip or picnic, she will bring something to a boil and place it in the oven When we arrive, we have a hot cooked meal ready for us. Be sure you bring it to a good rolling boil and heat it clear through before placing it in the oven. Because they are are well insulated, they will do double duty and serve as a cooler. They will keep ice cream frozen for longer than our store-bought coolers. They save energy since you only have to bring the food to a boil and insert in the Wonder Oven. For those of you who are not familiar with one, they are a heat retention cooker. In other words, they cook the food with its own heat. See Wonderful Box Cooker, a must-have, and that's an article that he's linking to here that I was telling you about, and do a search for of this blog for more information on the Wonder Oven. You can bake, cook stews, or hold chicken and roast in them. Because they are a slow cooker and the lid is sealed on tight, they give off very little odor using little energy, and would be useful if you had to hide the fact you were cooking from others. They are very simple in design. My wife makes them. You can see her design at Wonderbox Oven Cooker, and that's another link here. I'm actually going to read this one next. Once you understand the principle, you can improvise them out of almost any insulating material. At the time of the American Revolution, they called them hay boxes because they used hay for insulation. You can even make them out of sleeping bags, blankets, or towels. All right, so let me go ahead and go to that next article. It's entitled Wonder Box Oven Cooker. And it's going to just tell you, uh, you're going to see how easy it is. And he has some diagrams uh, with uh, measurements and stuff like that. But let me go ahead and read this one for you. Materials needed. You will need two and a half yards of material from a 52-inch bolt. Three and a half yards if the bolt is narrower. Soft cotton or broadcloth material is best. Use a 20-gallon plastic container with lid. And filler, about three cubic feet of polystyrene beads. I got mine online at Walmart for $19. Lay out your material and pin your pattern on. You will cut out four pieces for each cushion. To make the bottom, sew two of the four pieces together along the longest sides 
This is from point A to B on the diagram. Now sew the other two pieces together the same way. You now have two large pieces. Open the two pieces and put together on top of each other. Sew all the way around, leaving a six inch opening to turn material inside out and to fill the cushion. You can then fill with beads or wood shavings. If you fill with wood shavings, you will have to empty them out before washing. Sew opening together. Th this will leave you with a funny shaped cushion. Now push the narrow part of the bottom into the larger part to make a nest for a pot to fit in. To make the top, it is simple or similar to the bottom. Take two of the pieces and sew them together from point C to D on one side. Now sew the other two pieces together the same way. Now place the two pieces together, pin and then sew all around the edges. Remember to leave a six inch opening so that you can turn the material and fill the cushion. Sew the opening together. Place the bottom in a 20, 20 quart container. It can be plastic. Find a pot with a tight fitting lid that will nest in the bottom and you are in business. All right. So you, uh, again, you can go and you can get the pattern here. You can cut it out. Um, I don't know if maybe you could possibly right click and save it and then you could blow it up maybe big enough or, you know, just simply just measure it all out and, uh, and, and make one. So how valuable would that be if you had something like that? Because the, the tote that they're using, I mean, it's just a regular tote that you buy like at Walmart or whatever, just one that, uh, will seal, you know, really good. And, uh, you have this, uh, this great device that saves you time and money, uh, because you're not having to sit there while it's cooking. Uh, it saves you the fuel and uh, definitely can save you from uh, people who are hungry, smelling it, and coming and knocking on your door. So I guess this is one of those great projects. Maybe uh, you don't find it on Pinterest. You find it on the Prepper Website Podcast. And uh, like always, I'm going to link to it on the, in, in the show notes. And so you can go ahead and uh, go check that out and, and see it for yourself. And uh, I don't know, be interested in uh, making it. I'll be, if you do it, I'll be very interested in, in uh, what your thoughts are and uh, doing that. Maybe I might pass this along to some people that I know who that sew and see if they'll make one for me. I think uh, that would be a great little device to have, uh, especially if the poop hits the fan. And so it's, it's another tool in your toolbox, right? So you, if you have a solar oven, uh, you know, you have that. Uh, you have uh, this thing, uh, wonder, uh, the Wonderful Wonder oven box. Uh, you have different ways of cooking. You might have a, a propane stove. You might have a wood stove, uh, a wood pellet stove, a gasifying stove. I mean, there are all the different ways that you can cook. You want to have all these different options. And this is one that's very cheap to make. And so definitely you should look into that. All right, guys, that's it for episode 277. It's another week of the Prepper Website podcast episodes in the book. I'm so glad that you are part of this community and that you have uh, you know, been with me all week long. I really do appreciate all of you and your listenership. Hey, if you haven't, I'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. When you're over on Facebook, don't forget to come and join our Facebook group. Hey, as you go into the weekend, I hope that you take time to uh, you know rest and relax uh, get some things done that you want to get done. Hopefully you're building some knowledge and building some preparedness. If you are looking for more preparedness information, we have a ton of it over at Prepper website and uh, we post there every single day, even on the weekends. And so you can get tons of information over there. So with that, 
Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.